0: Hello everybody. So today we're gonna talk about networks, graphs, and in particular, a novel way of looking at networks, analyzing them that may find quite useful applications, something that I call scale specific network geometry. And we will dig into it in a second, but first the quilly of the day, Uh, it's a uh, kitchen uh, sponge. Now, most people might think like, well, there's nothing quite remarkable about this, well, first of all, I would usually, you know, be very hesitant to touch a used kitchen uh, sponge, you know, all of the bacterial cultivations uh, and uh, God knows what else. But this one is completely unused, uh, just, you know, took it out of the, the package without ever using it. And I'm finding the experience of touching something that would otherwise be quite, you know, dirty and, uh, and uh, unhygienic quite funny, uh, to be honest. Like, I feel... Feel like I should be washing my hands but on the other hand like the rational part of my brain reassures me that no it's it's actually fine now the sponge will also become relevant later in the video because it has a particular network geometry that is relevant for the conversation but I uh, will leave that here for now I've got my notes as usual so we will go through them okay first of all I uh, you probably know what a network is. Uh, I usually use the word graph, uh, especially with people who, you know, like like math, but because oftentimes when I say graph, people might just confuse it with something like, you know, X, Y axis, but now really. I mean, these mathematical objects that are nodes connected by edges and you know, I'm a big fan of, of uh, graphs. I, I've really been very interested in them for a while. Uh, when I was uh, a kid, I was, you know, it was mind blowing like Euler's, uh, Euler's, the Euler's property of, of graphs, um, and, you know, like finding interesting proofs. I, I used to love la- uh, graph problems when I was uh, in math competitions. It was, you know, something about it, you know, the combinatorics of it, uh, you know, it's, it's quite fascinating. Um, now, I'm also quite acquainted with graphs in 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 a different sense which is (laughs) that there is graphs you know in, in kind of a mathematical you know proof based way uh which you know you know pure mathematicians are really interested in but then there's also kind of like graphs in a statistical sense where you you know look at a huge network a huge empirical network you know something that you actually measure from the world and you're trying to tell some you know identify interesting properties of it interesting things that you you may do something uh, useful with them and um you know um uh, one example of that is like the you know m- my first professional experience uh was uh, an intern at this uh, startup that was called clout uh quite a fascinating slightly controversial but like honestly really interesting startup like in 2011 i believe that What they did is like, you know, this was uh, uh, opt-in completely in in that, like, you know, if you agreed to the terms of service of cloud, um, they would uh, basically look at your social connections in all of your, well, as many social networks as you granted them access to, you know, at the time it was LinkedIn and Squarespace. And I forget if Instagram was there, but like, you know, for sure, Twitter and Facebook and uh, Google Plus for sure. Google plus, (laughs) rip uh, Google plus. Uh, (laughs) And uh, then what they would do is they would analyze this massive graph of every user who had opt-in and identify kind of this notion of social capital, which, you know, cashes out into something actually kind of recursive, right? Because it's uh, not only what are the chances that somebody will act upon your suggestions, but also what is the social capital of the people who will act upon your suggestions so as an example if you're a twitter user and you only have one follower but that follower is let's say somebody extremely famous i'm just gonna throw in out there justin bieber simply because he was at some point you know the top clout scorer in the world with a clout defined as 100. <laughs> Later on, you know, other people became the, you know, the most popular person on, on social media, but at the time it was Justin Bieber. If Justin Bieber is following you in Twitter, that will just skyrocket your your cloud score. And if Justin Bieber retweets something that you say, even if he's the only follower you have, yeah, you're gonna have a huge, a huge cloud score. Now, cloud scores are, are quite interesting. Um, you know they find some dystopic applications you know with something like a social credit score they also find uh, quite a few uh, really potentially quite you know good applications that save lives and i'll give you an example in a moment um, before i get into that i also wanted to mention that you know some of the perhaps the best resources, the best resource for statistical graphs in particular that I know of is this class by Jury Leskovic at Stanford, a uh, class that I took many years ago. Uh, it's uh, CS224W, I'm, there's a link in the, in the description and you can find it and, you know, all of the lectures uh, from the previous years are freely available online as well as the problem sets and the handouts and you're going to get it up, up to speed on, you know, how to analyze graphs and say interesting things about them that is the place to go from my point of view it's just fantastic course Um, and a lot of the ways in which I think about statistical graphs really come from that course and then like reading the literature Um, also I mean ultimately I do have a little bit of a uh, further you know like more professional background in in graph uh, analysis and yeah, even my master's thesis ended up being about basically analyzing the network of transition probabilities between emotions and you know the graphical properties of that you know identifying attractors in that space and there's a lot of fascinating things uh, to to be said about that okay so uh yeah that's kind of a kind of my background i guess i wanted to say one more thing about like the mathematical you know kind of like proof based graphs which is like you know it's a, a really good question like for a given number of uh nodes how many graphs are there and uh, that's a really difficult question, actually, because of uh, the symmetries that exist. Uh, why? I mean, intuitively, <laughs> you may think it's, well, for every pair of nodes, um, you could or could not have a graph, uh, you know, an edge in there. And so therefore, is like, you know, number of possible edges, which is like n times n plus 1 over 2, um, and basically 2 to that, you know, because every edge could be there or could not be there, might not be there. And like, you know, that means that the total number of possible graphs is 2 to the n times n plus one over two um, which is huge you know this grows very quickly you know this is uh you know uh, an exponential uh, to the quadratic function and it's it grows really fast now there is a, a a complication there which is that you might be double counting a bunch of graphs in fact um the simplest example is when you have just three nodes let's say like a b and c you have the issue that if a is connected to b and b is connected to c that actually is you know an equivalent graph topologically as a connected to c which is connected to b basically you can label the one in the center as a b or c and so you have like three possibilities and um that is not accounted for you know in, in that way uh so it's actually a really difficult problem you know how many crafts there actually are, which uh, connects to this whole idea of graphlets, which is like, you know, the number of irreducible, like, you know, once you take into account the, the possible symmetries of a, of a small graph, uh, how many are there for a given number of nodes, and uh, I highly recommend digging into it. Uh, graphlets are also really useful, not only kind of in the pure math domain, but also when it comes to analyzing statistical graphs, although that's a rabbit hole, and I'm not going to talk about it today, maybe another day. Okay, so know your graphs what kind of graphs are there especially when we're talking about like you know large-scale statistical graphs and uh, I'll just mention a few those of you who are interested in graphs you've already heard them but it's good to kind of like you know go over them first of all we have kind of these geometric graphs uh, which is graphs where basically uh, each node is kind of embedded in a geometric space and it's connected to other nodes. You could even make it, you know, in a regular lattice or something like that. And a, a very neat property of that is that, you know, if you start at one node and then you count how many nodes you can arrive as a function of the number of steps that you can make, that will grow um, with an ex- basically an exponent that is the dimensionality of the space. You know, if you have a, a planar geometric graph, and you start kind of like making jumps from a central node, you know, you will be able to get to something that is proportional to N square where N is the number of jumps. Uh, If you're in a, you know, Euclidean 3D space the number of uh, nodes that you can arrive at is going to be N to the cube. Okay, so you you get the idea. there is kind of a, a, an interesting twist to this, which is uh, small world networks, which is like, if basically you have, you know, a geometric graph like that, and then you randomly shuffle some of the edges, uh, such that like, you know, randomly you take some of the nodes and you add edges to them. Um, very quickly, you will see that the speed at which you can arrive at other nodes as a function of the number of jumps uh, starts to go from this kind of polynomial of uh, n to the, you know, whatever dimensionality of the space and it switches into, you know, e to the n, basically really quickly becomes a, an, an exponential growth, um, which, uh, you know, confusingly, a lot of people kind of tend to mistake small world networks. And then these other things that are called uh, scale-free networks where basically, um, there's, there's a lot of definite ways of de- defining them, but roughly is like they're self-similar. In other words, like, they look the same no matter what scale you're looking at them and uh, now those are like actually much more connected in a way than just a regular small world uh, network however you know the exponential growth is the same uh, you will still have kind of this uh, exponential increase of possible number of uh, of nodes that you can arrive at <laughs> as a function of the number of steps uh, now what is the actual you know nature of like very large scale graphs um and uh, a lot of people believe it's a scale world or small you know s- scale free or a small world uh but it's actually neither uh Jure Leskovec, precisely the, the same professor who gives cs224w and his team they have analyzed these gigantic graphs you know gigantic social network graphs and ecological networks and you know protein protein interaction networks metabolic pathways very different types of graphs that, you know, when you get to the level of like millions and hundreds of millions of nodes, and uh, you know, many more edges (laughs) than that, like the structure of it actually doesn't look scale-free. It's uh, more complicated than that. It's also not a small world, is this weird thing where there is a huge, mega, ultra, super huge cluster in the center, kind of like a galaxy uh, core. And then there is what he calls whiskers, which are kind of like little tentacles that are somewhat connected to the core. And that is like as much, you know, large scale community structure as you can identify in these graphs, apparently. Uh, also I'll link in the, in the description, it's, you know, fascinating research, you know, how do you actually tell what is the shape of, you know, a super huge graph and that's, that's the way, I mean, it's fascinating research, okay. Uh, now, what am I gonna talk about today that is new? Well, actually, this was uh, sparked by, you know, thinking very deeply when the pandemic was starting. Uh, you know, COVID uh, around like February and March, uh, I kind of like thought like, huh, I wonder if there's like anything I could possibly contribute to this space, <laughs> and that led to this article in Quality Computing called um, Quality Computing uh, Coronavirus, Coronavirus Edition Uh, um toroidal planets and other cocktail napkin ideas the you know cocktail napkin idea came from this code from the movie armageddon about you know they're desperate like the the asteroid is like coming really quick really soon and they they're trying to to destroy it somehow so they just ask like i don't care where this is coming from i don't care where the idea comes from even if it's written in a cocktail napkin um we will consider it so these ideas that I, was, that I was like throwing out there uh, in that article were kind of like that. It's like, okay, this is like a long shot, but like maybe somebody will find it useful and interesting. And um, uh, I did think at the time, and I continue to think that it's a novel idea, uh, more so that actually has been vindicated. I, I've actually had the, the honor to to talk to several People who work at labs, epidemiological labs, uh, that were like you know actively finding, looking for strategies to to combat uh, COVID, and uh, they told me that they had never seen anything like this. That this is like a, actually a new idea to them, and also that one of them said, um, thinking about the graphs I'm going to talk about, gets his creative juices flowing about what possible structures of graphs out are out there. So yeah, I don't know. That's exciting. This is a new idea. Um, so what is this idea? Well, here is the problem that when you are in a highly interconnected world, you have the situation that if there's a pandemic, the growth of the pandemic is going to be exponential. As I said, when you have a small world or when you have a scale-free network, either case, it really quickly becomes exponential. In other words, you know, if you have like random edges in pretty much any graph, you'll start to have exponential growth it's just like really difficult to get rid of exponential growth in and of itself in in like empirical networks however there is an interesting clue from history which is the black plague Uh, and uh, if you look at kind of the the records it actually took a while to you know go through the entirety of europe you know starting in the south like in what was it like in, in in 1347 and going to the north all the way into uh 1452 so like it took about like five years to cross europe nowadays it would take like a couple months at most uh without any lockdown restrictions it's just that fast we're just that connected so what was going on in there well the microstructure of the graph was very likely something like a scale-free network you know you have like towns and you have like little houses and huts and like at the level of a town yes there is probably some super spreaders there's like these super strong like core nodes that are just connect everybody and in that sense if the plague arrives to your town and you know there's a Sunday service or whatnot you're probably screwed like the the entire town is uh, screwed <laughs> before you know it but the connections between the towns because it didn't have you know the ability to fly and you know transportation was relatively slow so it actually would take a a little bit of time. And, uh, uh, that was restricted. And even, even in that case, like the plague was actually transmitted through trade routes, which were the fastest, you know, longest ranging connections in that social graph at the time. And, uh, had they been like, you know, smart about like blocking particular types of, um, or quarantining, uh, people in, in, uh, in, um, in, uh, trade routes, they might have actually been able to contain the plague because, you know, travel is not that is not so extreme now imagine that situation with modern communication technology ah and then is when i think like you, you would actually be able to prevent to prevent the pandemic entirely you would just be able to quarantine the region and just you know let everybody there get immunity and then you open it up again and that's it the virus is completely utterly ultimately gone that is the sort of thing that we want we want to be able to in a sense quarantine a region of the network now the thing is we don't live anymore in this kind of like pseudo planner graph anymore because we're all connected in all these crazy ways so what can we possibly do well one strategy this is not my idea this is somebody else is you know coming back to kind of the cloud score if you have a score a kind of like social centrality interactivity uh, coefficient for everybody based on you know your your patterns of movement uh, everybody has if everybody has a cell phone you could do this analysis of like how is the contact network uh, of, of a human society and you can identify kind of like high pandemic cloud score individuals which is not only people who have a lot of like relationships but also people who are like particularly central in the network and the idea is that if you quarantine those specifically, you know, you may only need to quarantine five percent of the population, and that you may you may nonetheless, you know, break the network into these like modular clusters, or at the very least, like dramatically slow down the spread, um, at a incredibly small fraction of the actual, you know, social and economic cost of of lockdowns. Um, this has actually been suggested uh as well when it comes to like patterns of vaccination although they use like more simple heuristics like just number of friends number of people you interact with but you know a cloud score that also takes into account you know the centrality of the people you interact with you know it's recursive finds this uh this uh, equilibrium that would be even better you know it's like more effective and uh, i actually did run simulations for these um uh back in the day for for a class project and uh and yeah found that something like a cloud score for preventing epidemics was better than just you know counting number of friends and 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 uh, quarantining people in in that way now um that is not the new idea the new idea is scale specific network geometry and that is kind of like take out this idea of you know the scale free nature of, of of networks instead think maybe the kind of network you're dealing with depends on the scale and the middle ages is a little bit like that where, right? like at the local scale at the level of the village is probably a scale-free structure at the global level is more like a kind of like somewhat of a small world network but is largely just a planner graph so at a large scale is 2d at a very very local scale is hyperbolic it's uh, it's scale-free um now this doesn't mean that we have to, you know, eliminate, you know, air travel or anything like that in order to achieve the effect. Uh, the fun thing, uh, interesting thing to think about in here is: what if we don't need it to be 2D? It could be 3D. It could be 4D. It could even be 5D. Uh, at least implicitly, you know, that the the implicit embedded dimension in the network is 5D. It would still grow pretty quickly, you know, like and to the the fifth power still grows pretty quickly, but it doesn't grow as fast as an exponential, not not even close. You know, at the beginning, you may think like they're kind of similar, but after a while, you know, they diverge entirely. So that would be a huge win, you know? So the idea is like, well, let's identify a scale in the network where there is the largest kind of dimensional chokehold or statistical dimensional chokehold and then apply an operation to the network to slightly rearrange the edges in such a way that you, in a sense, minimize the effective dimensionality of the network at that scale. Okay, so there's like kind of a lot of things going on in here, and I think that's that's why this is a this is a new idea. Um, now, uh, in the in the article, I actually came up, you know, with several examples just to to get your creative juices flowing. So one of them is imagine living in a living in a toroidal planet, kind of this huge. Uh, donut uh, Planet. There's actually uh, a fantastic researcher Anders Sandberg from uh, Sweden, uh, who's also a you know interesting like fellow trying to prevent existential risks and uh, <laughs> and so on, um, who has a wonderful write-up about the physics of toroidal planets. What would be the possible moon orbits in a toroidal Earth, and like what would be the gravity like? And wonderful article. I'll also add a link in the description. Uh, okay so imagine you live in that toroidal planet and then um, it doesn't matter just how interconnected your society is in a sense as long as people don't you know take flights between places you know you could still have like very fast communication routes or like contact routes locally but the idea is that if you identify a pandemic in that you know large scale network structure you can still just you know cut it here cut it here so if you look at the growth of the pandemic as a function of time, it might start exponential, you know, because locally it's kind of scale-free. But quickly it saturates the 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 torus in that kind of ring, and then the growth becomes linear. So okay, that's very easy to deal with. You just cut it here, cut it here, wait for everybody to become immunized in the center, and you have the rest of the planet. It's just completely free. Okay, well, but is there a way that is you know more realistic and yes i think i think the the idea is that you can basically calculate the average scale specific network geometry for a given network for each of the regions and that way you can identify the chokeholds and uh i do have a a few like concrete algorithms to do this um and uh what i don't have yet is basically a way for the minimal cut or basically the 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 fastest way of like the easy sorry the the minimal edit distance between the network that is given and then the network that maximizes the chokehold or minimizes the dimensionality of the chokehold and that is uh, still something that uh, i didn't fully work out but i think it's uh, doable and uh if uh, there weren't that many projects going on in my life, I would love to spend some time, you know, writing a, a, a Python library in order to an, I mean, maybe, you know, enhance something like network X in order to uh, allow people to just compute, you know, the scale specific network geometry and also edit networks in this way. And, uh, you know, maybe this is not applicable today, but, you know, maybe in a few decades especially if we do something like go to mars you know or or we inhabit other other places i think if you go to mars you probably want to have like yeah like you don't want to be you know this your entire world be uh, disrupted by a pandemic so actually you, you do want kind of this modularity but you know the the contact network might need to have like a higher dimensionality than just 2d and what this does is that it allows you to have higher dimensions maybe again as i said like up to five dimensions implicitly embedded in the network and still get that sweet 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 chokehold that prevents exponential growth which is the ultimate killer here i'll just conclude with a kind of an extension uh, idea here which is that if you have like in a sense two types of things that spread in the network where their you know contagion patterns are like slightly different let's say some some ideas in one on the one hand and maybe some viruses in another hand kind of like memes and and dna um the particular chokeholds dimensional chokeholds that you have may be very effective for one but not for the other and i actually suspect that if you were to look at you know the kidneys or the you know pancreas or or even you know the brain and the heart that like the actually you know the microvasculature, the way in which fibers are connected and all of those, you know, cellular networks, I think they're optimized so that A, you do maximize the ability to transport nutrients while you minimize the spread of things like cancers and viruses and and other things that spread. And that's a difficult thing, right? Because you're kind of trying to maximize connectivity in one sense and minimize connectivity in a different sense uh, and overlapping them together. And uh, I think we will find this to be the case uh, in, in biology, that in a sense, biology is already trying to optimize the scale specific network geometry. Now, I don't know if this is true, but uh, I would put it out there as, a, as an interesting research direction. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's about it. If uh, you wanna, uh have me you know go into any particular quality computing article content on qri or honestly pretty much anything at all feel free to ask me in the comments i am accepting suggestions for topics to discuss and yeah we'll see uh we'll see how that goes so infinite bliss and have a wonderful wonderful day